Friends, would you open with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to read the first six verses from this chapter. Hear now God's word. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it's to this one Lord who is over all and in all and through all that we pray to. Would you... Give us this gift of unity in our church, and would you call us to be believers who guard that very unity with our lives? We plead for this, for the sake of your glory and your kingdom, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you guys will remember that for these five weeks, we're taking that great phrase from the Nicene Creed, one holy Catholic and apostolic church, and we're taking each word and we're defending it, explaining it, understanding it from the book of Ephesians. So last week we looked at the word church, this week we're going to go to the beginning of the phrase, and we're just going to take that first word, which is one. What does it mean that we're one holy Catholic and apostolic church? Here's what I think Paul's main point is in Ephesians chapter 4 for us and for this word one. We as the church have been entrusted with the gift of unity. It's a gift that is born out of God himself and it's given to us as the church and it is now our privilege to guard this gift with our lives. We've been given it, we've been entrusted it, we have unity, and now we are being called to live in turn, to defend, protect, uphold the unity that we have in this church. Now, that idea of giving and maintaining things immediately makes me think of any time we give a gift to our two little boys that are four and six years old. Anytime we give them a new thing, like a sticker book, we hand it to them and we say, You know, in our house, we guard our things. We're very protective of our things. We have respect for our things. We give it to them. We shut the door for 20 minutes. We open it back up. And it looks like two terriers have torn that thing to shreds. I mean, it's like, what happened? Did you guys try to eat this thing? Like, what could have gone on in 20 minutes? I think, for better or worse, that's the picture that I have of God entrusting the church with unity and having the church encouraged to defend the thing that she's been given. Today, I want us to understand what Paul is saying in two parts. He's going to give us the basis, the theological basis for why we are to be one unified church, and then he's going to give us instructions for how we guard and defend the unity that we've been given. So let's start with that first point. We have a basis for unity, and that comes to us in verses 4 through 6. Now, I think Paul, if he was arguing for unity, could have given us some very pragmatic reasons. There are very some useful reasons why we as the church should be unified. He could say to us, 
You know, unity is the best way to grow your church membership. It's a great grow the membership of the church. It's a way to kind of boost the morale of the church. If you're unified, then your giving levels are going to be up. If you're unified, it's going to be easier for you as a church to accomplish the mission that God has given you. There are just some really pragmatic, practical reasons for unity, which are all true, but none of them form the basis that Paul gives us in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul says we ought to be unified because God himself is unified. That's the basis for our unity. What makes all of Christian morality so beautiful is that it's actually born out of the person and the character of God himself. Paul, he says at the end of Philippians, I want you guys to do whatever is true, whatever is just, whatever is lovely, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy. And the reason he says, I want you to do these things is because God himself is true and just and excellent and praiseworthy. Ephesians 5, 1, the very next chapter from the chapter we're in says, be imitators of God. If you do, Whatever you first see in God, you will live a rich and a beautiful life. It's a life that mirrors and imitates God himself. And so he says to us, this is what God is like, verses 4 through 6. There's one spirit, one Lord, one God, Father and all. You have one God, three distinct persons, equal in substance and power and glory. This is the Trinity that's being presented to us. And you could find no sweeter, more beautiful, more costly, more eternal, life-giving focal point of unity than the person of God himself. But here's the underlying assumption. Listen very carefully to this. To pit members of the church against each other is as egregious as trying to pit members of the Trinity against each other. Paul says, verse 3, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. The Spirit is synonymous with unity. And so unity in the church is not wishful thinking. It's not extra credit. It's not the cherry on the top of the churches that have already figured out all the other ministries that they're doing and now have time to devote to unity. No, unity is rooted in God himself. It proceeds from one Spirit, one Lord, one God and Father of all. Flowing from this unity that's born out of God comes the unity of the church, the body of the church which is unified together and the church's response to God. You saw this in verses four and five. We have one hope, one faith, one baptism. If God is united, and the body, the church, is to be united, then our response to God is also going to be united in these things. There's only one mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ, and when we come with faith and hope in him, as Max and Emily so beautifully demonstrated this morning, we receive this one baptism, and it is a beautiful picture of unity. We are now joining God in the character of himself in this unity. Church, this is the oneness that we have been entrusted with. 
before a local expression of the church even opens her doors, like before she renovates a church space, before the worship team warms up, before she brews her first pot of coffee, before the pastor says anything, God says in and of himself, he has given the church seven ones. We have seven ones, one spirit, one Lord, one God, one body, one hope, one faith, one baptism. Woe to the church that starts producing twos. You have one. It's born out of God. Woe to the church that starts producing twos. If verses 4 through 6 give us that theological basis, if we can understand why it is that we're to be unified, we're to be unified because God is unified, then let's look at verses 1 through 3 because these are the instructions for our unity. Unity is our God-given reality, but how do we experience it and enjoy it now? How do we receive and defend the gift that God has given us? And the short answer is, church... It's going to cost us. It's going to cost us big time to maintain the unity of the church. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I went hiking in Jones Gap. Has anybody been to Jones Gap before? A beautiful state park. Three people have. Awesome. You should definitely go. Beautiful state park. It's right above Greenville. It's, it's amazing. And I took a prayer day there. I walked 13 miles. These were tough miles, rugged terrain. I did it in five hours, but... The payoff was incredible. I mean, I saw waterfalls. I saw these openings into the gorge itself, these beautiful vistas. I saw deer. I saw salmon. I saw snakes. It was beautiful. It was tough, but it was beautiful. And when I was done and I was hiking down off the mountain and I was coming back to the parking lot, I was scratched. I was sweaty. I was smelly. I was tired. I was hungry. I passed this guy on his way in. He had just parked and he was going towards the park and he was wearing flip-flops and he had surfer shorts and kind of shaggy hair and this really laissez-faire attitude. And he said to me, how do I like see some views? (laughs) And I was so caught off guard. I said, excuse me. And he kind of gestured towards the 4,000 acres that are at Jones Gap and said, you know, like, how do I see what's here? Now, I didn't say this to him, but what I wanted to say was, are you freaking kidding me? I spent five hours up on that mountain. I sweat up on that mountain. I bled on that mountain. I lost a pack of Nutter Butters on that mountain. I'm never going to see those things again. And you flip-flop in here with no water bottle and no map and no plan and you want to see some views at Jones Gap? Brother, the best view you're going to see today is me. That's it. That's the best thing you're going to see. Now, I know that probably would have been an overreaction, so I didn't say it. But I think that kind of happens with the church's approach to unity. 
We come to these incredible vistas of the church's unity. It's founded in the Godhead. It's founded in the triune God and the possibilities they sprawl before us like thousands of pristine acres for us to see and enjoy. But in one way or another, all of us have flip-flopped in here expecting to see these views from the parking lot. That ain't going to happen. It doesn't work that way. We need to go home. We need to change our footwear. We need to get a water bottle. We need to pick up our cross. And we need to be willing to walk the steep road it's going to cost us to see this kind of unity born out in this kind of church. Here's what I mean. Every fruit of the Spirit here has to do with me and not with you. Everything listed here. It's not about the neighbor I'm thinking about. It's not about the person I'm having trouble with. It's not about you in the back row. It's not you in the front row. It has to do with me and not with you. It's how I'm going to work for unity and not how the people around me are going to make unity better for me to work for. Here are those fruits of the Spirit, verses 2 and 3. Humility, gentleness, patience, love, unity, peace. Now, I wish the Apostle Paul were saying, Christian, make sure everyone around you is humble and gentle. If you can do that, unity will be a cinch. I wish he said that because the church is full of people who are not humble or gentle or patient. In fact, some of them are downright proud and rough and impatient. Believe it or not, there are some people here at CPC that are really hard to get along with. We've all experienced this. They rub us the wrong way. They've hurt us knowingly or unknowingly. They're impossible to reason with. They can be overly critical or they can be just downright plain annoying. And if the Apostle Paul would understand that for a minute to see things my way, he'd have a ton to say about how the rest of the church can begin to act so that unity could really get some traction in this church. If other people would do these things, then finally we could be unified. But the Holy Spirit is not going to humor us this morning. He says, I'm talking about you. I'm talking about your humility, your gentleness, your patience, your bearing, your love, your unity, your peace. I am talking about you, each and every one of you. I want to close with what this picture could look like. He gives us a dense phrase with a lot of words in it, but it kind of shows us what is possible in the spirit for us to strive for. This is what he says. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Now you think about those words humility and gentleness. They weren't highly regarded in Paul's day, and they're actually, in their truest form, not really highly regarded in our day. In fact, back in Paul's day, one Roman emperor, Galba, was mocked for being a humble man. Like people who hated him dismissed him by saying he is too humble. 
That was a, a slight impulse day. But over and against that, Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty nine, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. Humility and gentleness, they're beautiful things. They're born out of God. They're true of his son. And when we do them, we apply Ephesians 5.1, we become imitators of God. Once we take this yoke of gentleness upon us, Jesus' gentleness, the Holy Spirit says that he wants to give us the spiritual fruit, the gift of patience. Now, I love the literal translation of that word patience. Patience that you find there means a long temper. That's what patience means. It means a long temper. Everybody in this room, we know what a short temper looks like, right? If you don't know what that looks like, come to my house during the bedtime routine and you will see a short temper. But the Holy Spirit says he wants to bear in us a long temper. He wants us to have the gentleness and the humility of the yoke of Jesus. He wants to give us long tempers so that now all together we can do something that wasn't possible for us to do in and of ourselves and that is to bear with one another in love. Just by saying that we understand that Paul is not naive to the difficulty of unity here. Bearing in the New Testament, it's an interesting word. It can mean enduring things that are silly, like annoying or foolish, but it can also mean bearing things that are downright harmful, like persecution. Paul's completely aware of what we're up against if we will strive for unity in this church. But there will be no unity without bearing. There will be no solidarity without sacrifice. Rights, reputations, showmanship, slander, they all die at the door. They're crucified with Christ and we become a body that bears one another in love. When we stand up on Sunday morning and we recite the Nicene Creed and we say that we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, We mean that we have been entrusted with the unity that's born from God himself. And it's sealed in faith, hope, and baptism. And it's a unity that will be guarded with our lives. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'm afraid of what unity will cost us. It's going to cost us things that are near and dear to our heart. It's going to cost us idols that we spend all week guarding and defending and hiding. But you're telling us to lay them down and to become imitators of you. Gentle and humble and patient with long tempers, bearing one another in love. Would you do that in our midst? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.